0: Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just wanna welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just wanna let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We wanna be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody. Doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Wherever you're joining us, we are in a series right now called How to Not Be Your Own Worst Enemy. You can go back and podcast it where you get podcasts basically anywhere. You can watch it. But here's the whole idea around the series. Honestly, I think the title kind of gives it away. But all of us have the propensity to be our own worst enemy. Like all of us have this thing inside of us. I don't care what your religious background is. We have a lot of people don't even believe, not sure about the Jesus thing, but you can relate to this, is that we can just talk ourselves into really dumb decisions. And all of us have this thing where we look back on things in our life that we wish we could rewind and redo, but we cannot. And I think if we're really honest, and it's hard to be honest sometimes, Like we could just admit that all of us have undermined our own happiness. All of us have undermined our own future at some level. We said this last week, but like you've been there for all of your greatest regrets. Like you're the common denominator of all of the things that you wish you could take back in terms of your decision making. So here's the huge question in the series, like how do we avoid that? Like, how do we avoid selling ourselves into terrible decisions? How do we avoid making decisions that ultimately affect the people around us? And we look back and go, nobody did that to me. Like, nobody, like, coerced me into that. I just did it, and I ended up in a place and with a decision that I don't really want. And the thing that we said is, that doesn't just affect you, inevitably that affects everybody around you. So here's the underlying big question though. How do you say no to the emotions that compete for control? Because what you will find in those moments where we become, where I become my own worst worst enemy, it always originates from emotions from within that we have not either spot or dealt with and ultimately comes out in our behaviors, our decisions, and how we do relationships and ultimately makes us our own worst enemy. Now, Here's the insidious thing about this whole thing. Have you ever uh, read or come across those studies and they do them every so often and they're terrifying? But the, the question in the study is basically, what would you do if you knew that you couldn't get caught? Have you ever seen those or read those? Like, what would you do if you knew there were no consequences and nobody would ever find out? And I'm just telling you, if you've ever read those stories or those surveys or whatever they are, I don't know if they're scientific studies, but the results are terrifying, because when you remove kind of the um, threat of consequence or fear, what people, when they're really honest and nobody else knows, what people are willing to do if they knew they wouldn't get found out, I'm telling you, it is so unbelievably terrifying. Like, in fact, you don't really know who you're living next to. And in some cases, this is even more terrifying, you don't really know who you're living with in some cases. Like, I, 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 I stopped short of asking you to turn next to the person in your living room and be like, hey, what would you do if you knew you couldn't get caught? because you don't want to know the answer to that question. Like this may end marriages rather than heal them in this series. Like you don't want to know because when the threat or the fear of consequence is removed, our hearts are exposed. And a lot of cases and studies bear this out, we just don't want to know. In fact, it's one of the big reasons people won't take really aggressive steps to find healing in their life like counseling because, and I I literally hear this all the time. People will just say, I don't want to know. Like I literally don't wanna get into an environment where I gotta deal with stuff in me. I don't really wanna know what's going on in there. And so literally they make a conscious choice. I would rather live with a limp and just take the consequences than sit and deal with what's going on inside of me because I don't really wanna face it. Now, here's the thing. We said this last week. In terms of culture and life, here's what we're all being taught is, okay, so the kind of the remedy to all of that is just to not worry about it. So just learn how to edit and monitor your behavior and your actions. And so ultimately, you learn what to say, what not to say, how to do life, how to fit in in culture. Hopefully, some of us are still struggling, but you're working toward it. And just like what you need to do to be accepted and to be okay. That's what life and culture teaches you to do. But nobody is teaching you how to pay attention to the emotions within that are competing for control. Because basically it's as long as they don't make it out and you can get a job and get an interview and get a date, you're fine. And then Jesus comes along to say, no, no, I want you to pay attention to something completely different. But culture is not teaching us to do that. In fact, culture will even go a step further to say actually follow your heart, which is the worst advice in the world like not just for a 16-year-old teenage girl with I think everybody can agree, like you're just a bad parent if you're telling your 16-year-old girl to follow your heart. I'm just gonna say that. But it's bad advice for a 56-year-old to follow your heart, especially if you don't know really what's in there and you've not learned to edit it and monitor it and get to the root of what's going on inside of you and you'll end up leasing things that you shouldn't lease and starting new relationships that you shouldn't start. So every area and realm and season of life, like it just doesn't work. And so Jesus comes along to go, listen, there's actually something deeper and bigger that you need to do. And here's what he said. We looked at last week, Matthew 15, 17. If you're with me, give me a like or a comment or something just to know um, Um, that you're tracking here's what jesus said don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body all of his disciples when he said they're like we get that Um, please don't condescend to us verse 18 but the things that come out of a person's mouth that ultimately affect relationships behaviors decisions they come from the heart and that's what ultimately defiles a person And we said last week defile had religious connotation. It just means that's the thing that puts you at odds with God. Not that God doesn't love you and that God's grace is not available to you, but if you wanna know kind of what puts you in that place where God's going, what are you doing? Jesus is like, this is it. What defiles a person or puts you at odds with God is not a bunch of religious practices you do to go, hey God, are we good? Hey God, is everything okay? Hey, is God pleased with me? God cares almost nothing about those things. Those things are for you. What matters most to God is what you do to you and what you do to the people around you. And so when when things come out of you that ultimately hurt you and hurt the people around you, that's what defiles you because that puts you at odds with other people. And ultimately that puts you at odds with, God, Because what God cares about most is not religious rituals and practices. He cares most about his sons and his daughters made in his image. So when you hurt you or hurt other people around you, you hurt one of his kids and that's what he cares about the most. And so he says, and where all this originates is out of the heart. All these things stem from thoughts that either lead to thinking about murder and don't pretend like you haven't before, or it actually leads to that. Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And then verse 20, these are what put you at odds with a person, defile a person and ultimately put you at odds with God. Like this is the thing ultimately that explains why seemingly good people, make decisions sometimes that just totally go off the rails. And you're like, where did that come from? It's out of nowhere. And here's the thing, it's never out of nowhere. But all of us have learned to say the right things and do the right things and learn how to practice in a group and in a social setting. But we have not learned to take care of what's going on inside of us. And all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, but it's not out of nowhere. It's been lurking below for a long, long time. And all of a sudden, they make a decision that is completely off of the rails. This is why If you're a single person and you should just listen to me for one second and you are dating somebody and every once in a while they explode or they say something or they make some kind of decision or do something that you're like, that's way out of character, especially when they're under pressure or they're stressed and you're like, that's just not like them. That's just not like you. What are you doing? You just listen. If you are in a relationship like that, you need to pay a lot of attention. They're like, oh, that's not like me. Well, where did that come from? And Jesus be like, I know where that came from. It came from your heart. And every once in a while, your sophisticated filter breaks down and you do and say what generally you can control, but all of a sudden when the pressure's on, you can't control it any longer and what is in you ultimately comes out of you. And come on, one more thing, single people. You just need to know this, marriage makes it worse because then you get married and marriage does not solve a single problem. Marriage actually magnifies the problems that you already had that you didn't know you had. See, this is the thing. If I were to like put a little jar on here like filled with Skittles, I don't know why Skittles, shout out to beast mode, but if there was like glass jar filled with Skittles like all the way to the top and then I shake the jar or I put pressure on the jar or I move the jar around, like it doesn't determine what comes out of the jar. Like what determines what comes out of the jar is what is already in the jar. Regardless of how much pressure I put on it or how much I manipulate it or move it around, what comes out is what is already in and the same is true of you, that what is in you ultimately comes out of you. And our hearts, not literal hearts, but that place inside of us, our soul, our emotions, where all of that stuff that we feel emanates, ultimately comes out and makes us our own worst enemy. And so here's the thing, this is where we're going to go for the rest of this series. We have to learn how to identify and clean out the toxins that are present within and then not only do you have to learn how to identify and clean them out, you have to keep them out. So here's where I wanna start for a couple of minutes. So uncomfortable. So don't click off and join us for part three. Hang with me all the way to the end. But here's one of the biggest toxins or the things that lurk within us that ultimately have the capacity to make us our own worst enemy. It's this whole emotion of guilt, the whole emotion of shame. And here's basically, and I think you know what guilt is or we feel what guilt is, But guilt literally is the emotion associated with acknowledging that we've done something wrong. And it is one of the greatest enemies to you that you will find. And it is one of the things that has the power to sabotage our future, our relationships, what God has for us in terms of our destiny, maybe more than anything else. Now, here's the thing. Guilt can come in a lot of different forms. There's literally guilt where we're, we feel guilty about something that um, we didn't actually do. And so there's no reason for the guilt. That's another message. I'm not dealing with that. Then there's the guilt where we feel guilty because we've done something to feel guilty about. And when those emotions start to rise up, and for some of us, it's often generally, or for a lot of us, we will begin to identify with those emotions, the emotion of guilt, the emotion of shame, the thing that we feel as a result of what we've done. And then there's this this kind of guilt where the guilt is so heavy and so extreme that literally we don't feel it a lot. Like it's, it's so... It's so intense that a lot of times we can mask it and we can keep moving and we don't even feel any any of the emotions around it. And then every once in a while it pops to the surface and every once in a while we're reminded and every once in a while we feel it in a deep way. And generally what we do, our mechanism is that moment is that we reach for some kind of narrative. And we reach for a narrative basically to explain away why it wasn't our fault in order to keep moving. And so as I was 20 years old, or I was under a lot of pressure, or if you knew what I was walking through at the time, or if you knew what they did, or it was my first job, or I was a freshman in college, but we reach for a narrative to kind of excuse ourselves, get ourselves off the hook. And most of the time we can just keep moving, but every once in a while it comes to the surface and we're confronted with all of those emotions. Now, now, here's the thing that like, I want you to know if you miss everything else. Denying it or being defined by it ultimately is gonna empower it. And for some of you, like this is kinda how you've moved forward. Your modus operandi with guilt has been to either deny it or just to be defined by it. And I'm just telling you, you have empowered it. And what it does is it literally puts you in this place where you live your life off balance. And it's affecting everything around you even when you don't realize it. Because here's the thing about guilt. we talked about this before. Anytime there is guilt that's present where I've done something and I feel guilty, it is a debt-debtor relationship. Meaning, it's as if, like, accounting terms, you know, debt, debtor, like something was taken, something was stolen, something was borrowed, and like you owe it back. And every time there is guilt, there is a sense in which there's a debt, debtor relationship. You stole something from somebody else, and I'm not talking about physically, maybe you stole something physically, but it is you stole a first marriage, you stole somebody's idea, you stole somebody's innocence, you stole somebody's trust because of your gossip, you stole, um, like, what you stole a season of their life, but there is a sense in which you owe something to somebody else. You took something and you owe it, and so now there is this debt debtor relationship. Now here's the thing, we even put language around that because intuitively we know it. We'll tell somebody I owe you an apology or how do I make it up to you? Because somewhere in there we know that there's this sense in which I'm indebted to you. I took something, I stole something, and now I owe. Now here's the thing. Guilt practically is like a debt-debtor relationship, but that's not how we feel it. What we feel in terms of an emotion, when you are carrying guilt or shame that's been undealt with, you feel it as a weight. And that weight goes with you into every area of your life and it affects everything. Like you have guilt and shame, a debt-debtor relationship that goes undealt with, it is a weight that ultimately affects your reactions. It affects your compassion, It affects your parenting, it affects your ability to forgive. It's why Solomon in Proverbs said this, listen, above everything else that you do, and there's a lot of things you should do, but this is most important, make sure that you guard your heart because out of it come all of the issues of life. Everything you do flows from it. What your parents carried spilled out onto you. What you carry spills out onto other people. You parent, you lead, you love, you do everything from your heart. And when you carry it, literally, you carry this weight that affects everything that you do. And again, we put language around it because when we deal with it or we get rid of it, in some sense, we always say, it feels like a weight, right, has been lifted off of me. But I just wanna tell you, listen, if you've got guilt that you are carrying you just need to know you will not isolate it to a moment in time. You are, you are carrying it with you into every season and you may have picked it up on a business trip, but it's coming home with you. And you may have picked it up as a 20 year old sophomore in college, but if it's not dealt with, it'll follow you as a 32 year old. And you may have picked it up in a first marriage, but if you don't deal with it, you carry that weight into a second marriage. And all of a sudden the second marriage looks a lot like the first marriage. Because if you carry guilt that is not dealt with, ultimately that guilt is carry on luggage that you will take with you into every decision, every behavior, and every season of your life. And you already know that, right? But here's the thing. When you don't deal with it, that weight of guilt ultimately morphs over time. And that guilt starts to become anger. Like, if you do not deal with this debt-debtor relationship, I owe, I took something, you start to carry around this weight, you carry it long enough, ultimately, just mark it down, that guilt will turn into anger. And again, you already know this. I'm, I'm saying things you already know, but listen. You know where the anger originates. You are angry with you. But the problem with anger is that anger always leaks. Anger is not isolated, just like guilt is not isolated. And so all of a sudden you've got this thing inside of you where I let me down. So ultimately I'm waiting for you to let me down. And I didn't measure up to me, so ultimately I'm waiting for you to not measure up to me. And and I I didn't get it right, so literally I started to live my life looking for you to not get it right because I'm carrying guilt and shame I didn't deal with it. ultimately has become low-grade anger. And here's what I put in in my notes. Since you didn't live up to your own expectations, now nobody else can live up to your expectations either. You ever been in a relationship with somebody like that? And here's what is so heartbreaking is guilty people rarely draw that connection. Guilty people rarely know that that's happening and guilty people oftentimes lose sight of the source of their anger, which obviously is at themselves, but they don't know always where it's originated because they've carried it into so many seasons of their life. And you think you're angry at them and you're really angry at you about something that happened seven years ago. Here's the truth. When you get into that mode, what happens is you start to look at other people and their failures disappear into the recesses or your failures disappear into the recesses of your heart while everybody else's failures are plain to see. So here's the thing. Here's what I would say, like if you're carrying something where you're like, well, you just told me a lot of things I don't know and I feel worse about myself. So just hang on for a second. But here's the thing. Like you have good reason to not deal with it. You have good reason to not face it. Like I get it because the moment you face down what you legitimately feel guilty about, you're condemned. Like that's just the the reality. I don't care where you're coming from, what your religious background is. Forget the Jesus thing for a second. Like when you face down what you feel guilty about, you feel condemned because there's no recourse, right? I mean, we've said this so many times. You're, You're guilty, you owe something, but in the majority of cases, you can't pay it back. You can't give a first marriage back. You can't give an 11 year old that year back. You can't give that season back. You can't go undo what you said. Like in the moment that you face it down, there is no recourse because you can't undo, you can't unsay, you can't unleave, you can't undrink, you can't unfaithful, you can't unwork. All those times that you work too much and in that moment you start to create this narrative which is what most of us do so that you can move on but that doesn't work either. And here's the thing that you need to know, just lean in for just a second. The past wasn't designed to be left behind. And so the moment you're trying to find some kind of mechanism because you don't wanna deal with it because in that moment you feel condemnation, so you start to reach for a narrative, it never works because the past was not designed to be left behind, it always travels with you. So Jesus comes along and he's like, listen, here's the good news, you don't have to be defined by it, you don't have to deny it, which is most of what, most of, of what, what we do, there ultimately is a third option that goes beyond being defined by and denying it. And so Paul comes along, I believe inspired by God, he begins to write about it. And there is no better individual to write about this subject than this guy, Paul, in the New Testament. I think he carried more guilt than maybe anybody among the thousands of people who are watching and listening more than anybody who's watching or listening right now. Maybe I'm wrong, but I at least guarantee that your rap sheet does not exceed Paul's. And Paul comes along in history like he's a guy that was so type A and driven. He worked for the Pharisees and their whole goal was the Jesus movement called the way was some kind of religious cult that we need to stamp out. And Paul's like, I'm the guy to do that. And he got to it and he ended up crucifying or overseeing the death of Christians on his watch. And he started out his career listening to the screams of women and children moving into villages, and then when he moved out of villages, families were disrupted, dads never came back. And what you have to understand, because we love to airbrush the scripture, Paul dealt with those haunting memories the rest of his life. Paul heard the cries, Paul saw the tears, Paul couldn't forget looking eyeball to eyeball with those individuals, Paul could not undo it, And Paul for a season dealt with the crippling condemnation that haunted him because of what he did, facing down relatives where he had disrupted their lives and ripped out their hearts forever. And then here's what I love that Paul did. Paul documented all of his guilt. (laughs) Paul wrote it all down. And in writing all down what he had experienced and what he, had dealt, what he dealt with at an emotional level because of guilt, he writes about the fact that it was forever a part of his story, but it would not be the whole story. And who writes this is what gives this weight. And here's what Paul writes, and he writes it to a group of Roman Christians in the first century. Paul, who knew this emotion better than anybody, says this in Romans 8.1, I believe inspired by God, therefore, because God did a whole bunch of stuff that we're gonna talk about that was amazing. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. That there is a space and that there is a place where your actual past and all the memories and all the thoughts and all of the words that you remember are neither forgotten or condemning. And Paul's like, I just wanna lead you on a journey for a second, that, that there is a place where it is faced, it is embraced, but it's not erased. There is no condemnation. And then he goes on to invite in everybody who's gonna embrace this and take it seriously for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's like, just let me break it down for you a second. Whether you're a skeptic, Paul's like, I was the biggest skeptic in the world. Or whether you're a long time Jesus follower, you know all the songs, you're still carrying the guilt. He says, listen, It's for everybody who is in Christ Jesus, meaning those who are willing to face the condemning truth about themselves to go, this is what is true about me. And then to acknowledge it before God and then to respond to Jesus as their Lord and Savior with everything that he's done. And Paul's like, listen, the invitation is literally there is a space and there is a place where there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because they're willing to face the condemning truth about themselves. They're willing to acknowledge it before God. They're willing to respond to Jesus as their Savior. And when they do that, they stand uncondemned and they regain balance in every area of their life. And then Paul answers the why in verse two, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life, this is so powerful, set you free from the law of sin and death. You know what the law of sin and death is? It's basically this. When you sin, you're stuck. When you sin, you got no way out. When you sin, you've got no recourse. Like you can either deny it or you can beg, but that's all you've got. And Paul's like, the law of sin and death says, here's what you should do. You can't do it. We all know that. We've had those moments staring up at the ceiling to go, why do I do this to myself? And there's nothing you can do about it. And denying it and begging doesn't really work. And your guilt makes you your own worst enemy. But I'm telling you through Jesus, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. And here's how, verse three, stay with me for just a second because it's gonna set some people free. For what the law was powerless to do. Let me just pause for just a second. The only thing that the rules can do, the only thing that the law can do, the only thing that, hey, you should do these 12 things can do or these 10 things or these 25 things, the only thing that the law and rules can do is condemn you and punish you. And for some of you, I just summed up the entire sum of your church experience and you walked away from the church and you walked away from the Jesus thing and the language you used was it doesn't work because you sat under an environment where all they knew was to give you rules and load you down with a bunch of laws, but those laws can never lead you to freedom and they can never restore you. And so you sat in a church pew or a church seat and you heard about Jesus, but you never actually knew Jesus. You just knew a bunch of laws and rules that constantly reminded you, you cannot measure up, you have failed, you are never gonna get it right. You are never gonna be perfect. You are never gonna outrun your past, but they never led you to the place where you could actually find freedom and restoration from that. Because the only thing that the law can do and its whole purpose was to go, you cannot do it. You are a mess. You need a savior. His name is Jesus. He can restore you and give you freedom. But what the law was powerless to do, here's what you need to know. God did. What the law could not do for you because it could not restore you or free you, it could just tell you how bad you are. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. At the cross, When Jesus, we believe, lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, I couldn't live, nobody in history has been able to live and then died on the cross for your sin. It was a substitute death where in that moment, he died for the sins of the world, past, present, and future, and literally took my condemnation and your condemnation on himself. And then he validated the fact that his check did not bounce and walked out of a grave alive three days later, which authenticated and validated everything that he said that when I died, I literally put to death sin and death and the law and the power of everything that has control over your life. And I'm offering you freedom through what I've done and faith and trust in me. So listen, the reality is you are a mess. You cannot measure up. Everybody's got a past and freedom from condemnation is only available in me. And so it's why I condescended into human flesh to be the offering that you could not be and to take away your condemnation forever. Like in that moment, what Paul's writing about is that what God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, in that moment, what was happening is Jesus was taking divine condemnation on himself. In that moment, Jesus was taking self-condemnation on himself. And in that moment, Jesus was taking all condemnation on him. And so this is literally the invitation. Jesus is like, listen, bring your guilt to me Like bring your guilt to me. And I just want to say as bluntly as I can, like we have thousands of churches everywhere where people are sitting and listening week in and week out and they've never done this. And you have been weighted down by a list of rules and regulations that are killing you. And you've walked away from what Jesus is actually offering The rules and the laws were simply to let you know that you need something more and you're not gonna find it in trying to obey the standards. You're only gonna find it in Jesus. And so Jesus says to you, would you just come to me wide-eyed, totally present, totally aware, and would you set down all of your stories, all of the excuses that you've been carrying, all of the familiar narratives that you've gr- grabbed a hold of in order to just keep moving? And would you just come to me with all of that? And Jesus would say this listen, and we'll agree. You're guilty. Like you lied. Like you were irresponsible with your body. You broke their heart. You walked out. You knew, but you did it anyway. And this is such an amazing message. And so Jesus says, listen, so come to me with all of that, recognizing all of that and just own it. You are guilty, but you're not condemned. And Jesus would say, when I see you, I don't see that. It's why Paul was able to to write these final words in the sections in in Romans 8. Romans 8, three, when he said, and so Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. So rather than you being condemned, Jesus was condemned for you. Verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, the standard of like, you gotta measure up. Jesus is perfect. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And we're all like, we can't do that. And Jesus is like, that's the point. You need me. And so I've met the righteous requirement of the law so that it would be fully met and so that you could have freedom. And so in that moment, when you begin to embrace what Jesus is done, here's the reality. God chooses to love and listen to you as if it had never happened. But you're guilty because you did it, but you're not condemned because Jesus took your condemnation. So listen, I get the reality is because some of you heard these verses like like 400 times, and you're like, okay, but does that make any practical difference? Like, does that really matter? And if you're kind of outside the church thing and you're investigating, okay, I get that, a lot of spiritual language, a little over the top. Like, does that make any actual practical difference in my life? And I'm just telling you, it makes a massive impact if you really understand it. If you embrace the fact, okay, Jesus, I just believe you died, you took my condemnation, you took my sin, you rose again in history, so that's all I need to know. So I'm trusting you, and I'm trusting you with my past, I can't do anything about it. I need you as my savior. When you recognize that is truth and you are willing to bring this to Jesus without hiding it, without creating stories, it makes a massive impact. Real quick, four things and I'm gonna be done. First is this, when you embrace the fact that you are guilty, but you are not condemned, number one is this, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself. The moment you embrace this and it becomes a reality, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself because you are not yours to condemn. Like the scripture is so clear over and over again that you are not your own. So you don't need to be your own worst enemy. And so when that stuff from within, those emotions from within that you're carrying because of something that you've done, when they start to work the night shift, when they start moving to the surface at 3 a.m., like the reality is in Jesus, he's going, you need to tell the voice of shame, yes, I'm guilty. I don't need to hide any longer because what happens is you sit there and you hide it and you create a narrative and the shame actually grows in the dark. But in this moment where you're freed up because of what Jesus has done, you're able to go, listen, shame, I am guilty. I did do it. I did make the decision that was me. I was my own worst enemy and I'm not gonna deny it any longer, but I am not condemned because I am not my own. And Paul said in the New Testament, you have been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. You are a living sacrifice to God. And so you have no right to condemn yourself because you are not yours any longer. You have been bought. You have been redeemed. Condemnation has been removed. You are a son and you are a daughter of God. He takes all rights over your life under the Lordship of Christ and so in those moments when those memories start to move up to the surface you are able to tell the voice of shame and guilt you no longer have hold over me any longer because I am not mine I am his and I have forfeited the right to condemn myself any longer and number two when you embrace this what happens is your guilt begins to remind you but it's not going to define you When you begin to really understand this, like you recognize you did it, but you are not what you did. And we have so much trouble with this because we wanna take an event or a decision and make it a person. But your event, your decision, your behavior is not a person. It is not you, it is not who you are. And what happens when you begin to to embrace the reality of what Jesus has done? Your guilt will remind you and actually become a pivot point. And rather than leading you into self-condemnation, it'll lead you into gratitude because you will recognize in that moment, how amazing is the forgiveness of God? Like how amazing is the grace of God? How amazing is it that unlike any other religion, like I can face this down, I can own it, but I don't have to live under it any longer. And the very thing that was a pivot toward your depression and anxiety and self-condemnation actually becomes a pivot point toward worship to go, God, I don't have to live with this any longer, but now the very thing that condemned me is the very thing that you are using to help me to love people around me because the scripture is really, really clear. When you recognize, Recognize how much you have been forgiven. Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. And it doesn't lead to self-condemnation, it leads to worship. And the reality is all of us are worse than we think. And God's grace and love and forgiveness is better than we even imagine. And when we embrace what he has done, our past will remind, but it will not define. And then the third thing is this, when you really understand this, you will forfeit the right to condemn others because that would make you a hypocrite. Like when we get this, we forfeit the right of sizing people up and writing them off. Can I just speak to some of you because I, I'm, I'm so aware of how big our audience is of people who've walked away and are struggling and, and I'm so honored that you are tuning in in this investigation process but you have been so hurt and so wounded and I just wanna give you this little insight about human psychology and about a lot of the religious stuff that you've dealt with the more judgmental an individual is, the less aware they are of their own guilt and their own shame. And the most judgmental people that you have come across, whether they're standing on a stage with a mic in their hand or leading whatever, or, you know, they're, they're eloquent and they drop spiritual sounding language, but they're incredibly judgmental, just mark it down. This is just true of every person you come in contact, like who is in this place, the more judgmental they are, the more guilt and shame they're hiding around their past. But when you deal with it, I'm just telling you, you are perfectly positioned to love the unlovable and forgive the unforgivable. And this is no hyperbole. That idea in embracing this message changed the world once. And the church was not known as condemning, they were known as the most loving, gracious, accepting, forgiving people on the planet. And then the fourth thing is this you are free when you embrace this to make restitution without expectations and without excuses. Like, come on. You know the marching orders in the New Testament, right? It's pretty simple. All the Old Testament stuff it was great and you should read it for application and historical context, but all of it has been replaced with a new ethic. Now you don't need all the laws and rules. If you just ask the singular question of what does love demand, it will guide you in every situation. Jesus said, I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. That is your marching orders. And here's what God did for you. He humbled himself and he gave to the guilty. And so how could we do less to the people that we have hurt regardless of their guilt, like regardless of what they've done, regardless of maybe how they've responded? And come on, can you just think about this as we get ready to close? It might be possible that your restitution and your apology and you owning up to what you've done and taking responsibility for what you've done might actually be the tipping point to unlock the vault of the bitterness that somebody else has been living in that is eating them from the inside out. And so my question for you, for us is just this, is somebody waiting for you to make the first move? Like is somebody for waiting for you to make the first move? And you've got a ton of excuses and you've got a ton of stories and you've hid in the, and, and kind of couched behind those for a long, long time, but you're at a place where you did it, you need to take responsibility, you need to forgive. And yes, they've got their stuff, but but you've been called to make the first move. And, and maybe is your pride keeping you from making it? Is your pride, which is generally behind literally every sin and behavior that leads us in a bad direction, is it making you your own worst enemy? And and Jesus would say, are you just ready to drop all the stories, all the excuses, all of the narratives, and just maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, just get honest and go, yeah, yeah, I'm guilty. I I did it. it. It's real. And there may be somebody in your life and at some level, their freedom, the trajectory of this next season of their life in some ways hinges on your willingness and your courage to do what God is calling you to do. And here's the thing that keeps us from doing this is because we fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. And that's just a mistake because you will hide it and you will stuff it. And you may do a good job for a while of keeping everybody else at bay, but it will sabotage every part of your life and just mark it down. You will live with a limp. You will parent less than your capacity. Your marriage will not end up being all that God wants it to be. And your guilt and your shame ultimately will make you, it'll make me my own worst enemy. So listen, as we get ready to pray, here's the good news. If you are having trouble forgiving yourself, the amazing news is this, yourself has already been forgiven and you have lost the claim and lost the right if you are in Christ and a follower of Jesus to self condemn any longer. You don't need to deny, you don't need to be defined by. There is a better and third option where Jesus says, I want you to come with all of it. I want you to be brutally honest. I want you to root it out from the inside out. And I want to set you free because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the best news of all, what the law was powerless to do, what your denomination was powerless to do what the 17 things that you grew up with, if you just do this, God's gonna be pleased, what that was powerless to do. The reason that you walked away from church and the Jesus thing, and I don't think the God thing works anymore, what all of that was powerless to do, Jesus did. So wherever you are, would you just pray with me in this moment? And I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond because I know that this is, uh, a sacred moment for hundreds of people. I think literally that, that this is the moment to just confront and run down the stories and the narratives and the excuses that you've been holding on to. And I get it. I get the reason why. But this is the moment to let those go and to embrace fully. I'm guilty. I did it. But in this moment in Christ, I'm not condemned any longer. And I'm I'm praying that Jesus would move this from my head to my heart. And this would literally for some, because Jesus can do this, it would be the moment that I'm set free. And others, it would be the start of a journey where I'm gonna be set free. So wherever you are, would you just pray with me right now? And if you're in that place where you're just carrying guilt that you need to let go of, and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I just wanna pray for you real quick in this moment. Lord, I pray for those that are carrying shame, that are carrying guilt. And for some, we've just we've kind of learned how to deal with this based on some multi-generational stuff where we've just been handed the baton of, of several people who've dealt with similar things and they, they've all decided they're just gonna stuff, they're gonna pretend, they're gonna modify behavior. And, and literally, literally, we're just carrying on some things that like in this moment, Jesus is inviting us. I want you to be set free from this. I want you to, in some cases, break the power of some things so that your kids are set free from this. And so I pray for people right now where there's some things from their past that are so painful, they have tried not to think about them for years. And I pray right now through the power of the Spirit of God, you would give them courage to know that they can face all of those things down because on the other side of facing it, there is not condemnation awaiting them. There is the love and the grace of Jesus to set them free. And so I pray that this for some would be the moment where they just maybe in this moment or in a moment to come this afternoon in this week, they would maybe literally get on their knees and cry out to God and just say all of the things that have been in their heart, but they've never wanted to admit and just come clean without stories, without excuses, without rehearsed narratives. And they would just admit before God, what God already knows. I am guilty. I've carried this for too long and I don't want to carry it anymore. And that in that moment, rather than denying it any longer and rather than being defined by it as if it is something that they are, they would be freed from it to know that they are yours and the condemnation no longer has any power and they are set free and they can be guilty and live guilty, but not condemned. And the pivot point that generally led them into condemnation would now lead them into worship and you would lead them to love themselves and to love other people like they've never been able to for and so just in this moment set people free and then second invitation there's some people all over that are listening watching and you need to begin a relationship with Jesus because that's your only hope and the scripture says maybe somewhat offensively to some of you and I get it but Jesus says I'm the way I'm the truth and I'm the life And if you are ever going to experience freedom, you're only gonna experience freedom through me. And you've tried to do it by attending classes and catechism and church services and attendance and reading a Bible and trying to outdo what you did in the past and all of it is useless and it has done nothing to your guilt. And this is the moment where you need to recognize you need a savior and his name is Jesus. And the scripture says this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be rescued, will become a son and a daughter of God. And the moment you make that declaration, you are secure, you are loved, no matter what happens in your future, because it's based on what Jesus did to take your condemnation and what, not what you can do for Jesus and not what you can do for God. So I just wanna invite you to pray this prayer after me if this is the moment where you need to just say, God, I wanna follow you. I wanna to begin to be a follower of Jesus and it's not the prayer that saves you but it's your declaration of trust. So right now, for some of you, this is that moment where you feel that thing that has nothing to do with my speaking. It has everything to do with the spirit of God. Just pray this after me. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for all of my sin. And I believe three days later you rose again. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me and to free me. One more time, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And three days later, I believe that you rose again. And right now I'm recognizing, I need you to save me and to forgive me. I trust you. The scripture says, if you've made that transfer of trust in this moment, in this moment, you become a son and a daughter of God. And so, wherever you are, I just want to encourage you if you would text this, text 94,000, CC decide to 94,000. Just let us know. Like, I've made a decision today. I want to begin to let go of my guilt, or I've made a decision today to become a follower of Jesus. Text CC decide to 94,000. One more time, Jesus, I pray that you would heal, redeem, restore. As we sing this song, I pray that it would emanate out of a place of not denying but confronting and then being led to worship because we are free despite the guilt because there's no condemnation in Christ. And I pray this in his incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?